Good morning. So I know that many of you will be traveling this holiday season, which many times includes air travel. So I'm going to do a little bit to prep you. Three things, not including your seatbelt, three things that must happen before the airplane takes off or lands. What are they? Come on. Pray. What's wrong with you? All right. Seat back in the upright position. Yes. Two. Tray tables up and locked. And locked. And what's the last one? (laughs) No one in the bathroom. No, I hope you're not in the bathroom when you're taking off. What's the last one? Electronic devices in airplane mode are off. Is this the first time that you've heard this? (laughs) I'm going to sit down. You, how many times have you heard that? And let me tell you, as someone who spent a couple decades in the airline industry, nobody ever listens to it. How many times have you been coming in to land and then you, somebody's phones are going off and there's texts going off because they didn't turn them off? Or the flight attendant comes by and says, hey, put up your seat, and then you do, and then they're moving forward and you're like... <laughs> What's wrong with you people? Do you know what happens if there's too many tray tables down? There's an aeronautical engineer in the the audience here. She knows. I'm not going to tell you. It's not good. Here's the thing. You hear this all the time, but you never hear it. There's a reason that you don't do it. There's a reason that you turn your phone back on after the flight crew walks by. There's a reason that you pop your tray table back down when they're not looking. You hear it. But you're not convinced it really matters. Let's be honest. Right? Um, I've had that before. Usually there was once a week where somebody wouldn't put their phone away before takeoff. Um, I remember this one time um, the flight attendant came up and said, yeah, we got one of those. He's apparently on a big call. And he saw the flight attendant come up to the flight deck, and so he rushed the flight deck, pushed past her aggressively, got up into the flight deck and said, I am running a multi-million dollar company. I'm setting up a board meeting. We're going to hold this flight. Like, I'm on a call. I said, oh, you know what? Thank you. I, I wish you'd told me that. Now, now I can help you. That's good. You should have just said that. Um, you know, we care about that. So we called the airport police, and we put him, like, he was able to make his call in silence, but not on the airplane, and we left without him. Not convinced it mattered. Not convinced it mattered. So we're at the end of Revelation. Nobody clapped. All right, that's good. We're at the end. One of the things that every single church has heard from the risen Lord is this. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All seven churches. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Over and over and over. Basic rule of communication. What's repeated is supposed to be remembered. This is why Jesus puts it in here. Every single church hears this. So we have to surmise that we're pulling the tray table down as soon as Jesus walks by. Or that we're hearing it, but we're not convinced there's going to be something about what he's saying to us that is very unconvincing. 
yeah, I heard what you said, but that's not me, and that's definitely not us. So um, what we want to do today is understand, and it's good, because he's talking to a church that has a horrible understanding and self-awareness of how they really are. They hear, but they don't hear. So what we want to do today is understand what it means to actually hear the Lord, but actually hear him and understand it and respond to him in kind. Right? We want to hear him. We want to get out of our own head. That's a dangerous place to be. Get out of our own head and hear his voice over our voice. Well, does that mean my voice doesn't matter? Of course it matters. But hear his voice and respond to it in kind. So this is where the text goes today. This is our last church. This is the church in Laodicea, bad and clean up. And it's, I think it's a text you're familiar with, but it's, it's probably not as easy to understand as we've been led to believe. This is Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to jump into the text. Chapter 3, verse 14, last church, church number 7, church in Laodicea. And the angel of the church, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and have white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I've also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. I feel like in great need. Let us hear what the Spirit has to say to Portico Church. Lord, this is a huge grace that you've given us your word and that you reveal yourself to us today. Let it be very clear, God, what you're calling us to hear. And help us to understand what it means to hear your voice up and above the thousands of voices we have competing for our ear. And we pray this to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So get out of your head. Train yourself to hear God's voice over your voice. That's going to be hard. Hear God's voice up and above over your voice. Now we're going to walk through this. There's three basic movements to the text. We can't cover everything, but here's what we're going to cover. First, we need to understand, of course, a little bit about Laodicea. But I want you to think of about it in context of acoustics. 
Because we're thinking about the sounds of the voices that we're used to hearing or that we tune into. So culture or the environment or how you understand life has a lot to do with the voices that you're going to hear. So first we're going to talk about this paradigm of acoustics. How, how does our life or how does where we live or how we see life change what we hear and how we hear? And then secondly, we're going to move on to hearing our own voice. What is it like for us to hear our own voice? And lastly, what is it like to hear God's voice? So let's jump right in. Laodicea. Um, it's an echo chamber, like every city. The thing that this city is good at, they will always hear that. Well, they're a strong city. Um, they're kind of on a trade route. It's kind of like seven corners. Everything goes kind of by Laodicea, a lot of trade routes. It's a little bit south of the church in Philadelphia, about 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia, the church we talked about last week. It's in a very fertile valley, the Lycus Valley, um, very wealthy in the region. In fact, uh, this church is the wealthiest, or this region is the wealthiest church region that we've spoken about. Why? A few reasons of that wealth. One, they could grow things well there. Um, They had a very good booming textile industry. They had some black wool. We don't know if it was dyed or they just had um, sheep that had black wool, but they were famous for that. They had a great banking industry. So if you want to be wealthy, have banks. Um, The ancient poet Cicero actually bragged about going there to cash his checks. So they had a very vibrant banking industry, uh, and they had a good med school. They had a really good medical school. They were famous for this stuff called Phrygian powder, and you could put it on your eyes, and apparently it would help your eyes heal. So they were well-known for these types of things, but here's what they're most known for. They're self-sufficient in this way. Remember the earthquake that happened in AD 17 uh, that leveled a few cities around here? Well, it also leveled them, but they rebuilt on their own. Some cities never came back. Some cities were rebuilt by Rome. Listen to what Tacitus says, who's a good Roman historian. He said, they rose from the ruins without any help from us. They were self-sufficient. They're good. So what they value, what they're good at, is self-sufficiency. They're strong. They're wealthy. We've got this. We didn't even ask Rome for money when it was time to be rebuilt from the earthquake. Uh, In verse 17, it says... Pretty sure it's in my Bible. (laughs) For you say, this is speaking to the church, but it comes out of the region. I am rich and I have prospered. I need nothing. This is the spirit of this city. I need nothing. I have what I need. So if you are in Laodicea, the echo chamber is, we've got this. If you spoke anything else in that city, it would fall flat. If you said, hey, I've got this, people would say, yes, hallelujah, amen. We've got this. We rebuilt. We're good. We've got the resources we need. Now, let's import that into Arlington, into our city. What's the echo chamber here? In other words, when we say certain types of things, people say, yes, hallelujah, amen. That's right. That's how we do things here. That's what matters in life. Well, what is that? Well, here's a couple of them. Um, You need to be in charge of your own happiness. Nobody is better positioned than you to understand what you need and to get it. And if you don't 
Seek your own happiness. If you don't make decisions based on what's best for you, you will live a miserable life. Therefore, fill in the blank. I'm going to blank because that's what makes me happy. When you say that, regardless of what's in the blank, people in our culture will say, yes, that's right. That is right for you, and that is what is right. That is our echo chamber. So when we say that, it's the loudest voice in the room. It's what we pick up. It's what makes sense to us. We're strong in this. We want to be self-sufficient, but this is just about self. So this is our echo chamber. Understanding the acoustics of our city, of our age, are very important. The assumption is that you are the expert on you. Can I just ask you for a minute? Is that true in your experience? Pastor Reeve just talked about joy and happiness. Is it true that you are the expert on you? Is it possible? Is it possible that maybe you are not the expert on what makes you happy or what brings lasting joy to you? Just if, if you're like, that's ridiculous. That's our echo chamber. But hold that to the side for a minute. Maybe it's possible that you don't know what's best for you. Uh, There's a TED Talk um, by this woman by the name of uh, Pamela Meyer, and it's called How to Spot a Liar, and it's brilliant. Um, It's kind of, don't watch it because you'll find out that you lie all the time, which is kind of sad, right? We lie all the time. But it's really interesting because she teaches you how to spot a liar. One of the things that she said uh, that just struck me was that lying is a cooperative act. Nobody really gets lied to. You receive it, right? There's a process by where it's a cooperative act between the person that's lying and the person that's receiving the lie. And here's why. Also, lying fills a gap that you need filled. She says this, right? Um, And what's that gap? Well, the gap is between reality and how you wish things were. Like, you're deep. I just really wish things were like that. For instance, hey, where do you work? Oh, I work... um, at this place. I'm not going to tell you where I work because I want to work at a better place. I'm going to lie to you. Lying always fills the gap. You know, who the, you know how I can lie to you? I can lie to you if I know what you most want in life and don't have. Then, then you're just a pushover. Like if you want nothing more to be affirmed by somebody, if I come up to you and affirm you, even if it's not true, you will drink it in and you'll be like, that guy is awesome. Or if you're really need money and you're, you're out of it and for you money's all about security and meaning and significance and you get that email, hey you have a prince uh, who's a friend of yours in Nigeria and he just left you a lot of money. People actually respond to those. Okay? It's, that's why you get lied to. It's, there's a cooperative act there and it's filling this gap between how you wish your life was and how it actually is. Here's what she doesn't say. You, you lie to yourself all the time. All the time. So this text here is telling you, begging you, gently actually calling you to get out of your head. Listen to God's voice. Put your voice on hold for a minute. Put your voice on hold. Listen to what he says. How do we do that? Well, let's get into the text a little bit more in regards to hearing your own voice. You need to know what you're saying, at least what the Laodicean church was saying to itself and probably what we say to ourselves on a regular basis. Now, he uses this text 
that says lukewarm, right? Lukewarm water. Now, I've heard that before, but what makes sense to me when I hear the term lukewarm water is not what makes sense to the Laodicean church. So understand, we will allegorize things a lot of times because we don't understand. We don't drink lukewarm water. They did. And so let's understand this text like a Laodicean would understand it. So in Laodicea, they had a great city, a lot of wealth, a lot of things, a medical school, great textiles, banks, but they didn't have water. The reason that it didn't have water is because it was built for the proximity to the trade routes. It wasn't built for proximity to good water. So they had to have their water piped in. So if you're a Laodicean, you know that. Now up north of you is Hierapolis, and guess what they have? Great hot springs. So if you wanted to like have a spa day, I guess you would go up to Hierapolis. It had mineral water. It was hot. You know, it smelled bad. Have you ever been around hot springs? It smells bad. There's a lot of mineral. Um, there's a lot of calcium in it and different things. You can't drink it, but it's really good for therapy. So, okay, there's that. If you go to Colisee, which is just a little further up the Lycus Valley, they had really, really good cold, clean water, and it was great for drinking. When he says you're lukewarm, he says you're good for nothing. It has nothing to do with spiritual fervor. Like, oh, some of you are cold spiritually and some of you are hot spiritually. He's not saying that. He's saying this church is lukewarm. Oh, they would know that. Oh, the kind of water that you would spit out of your mouth. For us, it would be like drinking salt water. When my son was younger and we would go to the beach He would get thirsty and he would drink water out of the ocean, no matter how many times he would tell him. And guess what he would do on the van ride back? He would, you know, vomit all over the van. It was just like old faithful. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Hey, son, the water in the ocean is not good for drinking, but it's water. Don't drink it. I'm going to drink it. You, know, you parents know what I'm talking about. For whatever reason, they were self-deceived. They were self-deceived. They were lukewarm. Let's understand this better. They had no self-awareness. Have you ever tried to train somebody that had zero self-awareness? I mean, none. Like, maybe you're trying to teach them a sport, and they're like, dude, I can, I can get the ball in the upper 90 all the time. Watch this. And you're like, yeah, dude, you haven't even got a goal in the last half hour. You, you don't even have the fundamentals. I'm good. Pick me on your team. When you're around somebody that has a really bad self-understanding, it's, it's nauseating. Let's just be honest. You can't train them. They won't listen to you because they're convinced they're good. This is the church. They're lukewarm like that. And Jesus says, I will vomit you. I will. Right? He's future tense. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Pick up what I'm saying. They were blinded by blessings. Um, They were blinded by their strength. They were rich. They had prospered. They think that they're set. And when you do this, when your relationship with God is based on circumstances, it's very confusing because you can say, hey, I'm wealthy. Things are going well in my life. Therefore, I'm living right. God loves me. And if things go badly, well, what's wrong? Either I'm doing something wrong or God doesn't see it or God doesn't love me anymore. It feels to me like they were using their circumstances as a gauge or a measure of how well they were doing and how much God loved them. So we do this all the time. We get very confused when life is hard or when we suffer loss or pain 
Like, if God loves me, how is this happening? It's not about confusion. It's about being deceived. We honestly believe that God loves us because of the things that we do. And he doesn't. He loves us because he loves us. And you can receive that or you want, they were blinded to this. They, They would honestly believe that Jesus was there to serve them. What have you done for me lately? Right? Jesus says, okay, let me help you understand how you are. You're wretched. You're pitiable. Like, I hurt for you because you're so blind. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You actually have nothing. You might have some strength and some resources, but you have nothing. You're blind. You don't even see what you don't see. You have no idea that you are completely naked or exposed spiritually. You don't even know me, really. And I can't get a word into your life because you're too busy listening to yourself. And you just have no urgency. No urgency where it matters at all in life. You're only urgent to the things that you say to yourself. So what is lukewarm as scripture teaches it? It's complete relational indifference to God. That's what he's talking about. Just relational indifference. For instance, if you're dating somebody, let's say you've got on a couple dates and your friend's like, hey, how was that date? They're okay. It's over, right? Probably. Or even worse, what if you're married? Like, how's your marriage? Oh, that's all right. How's your spouse? Mm. I don't know. If you were a spouse and your spouse said that to you, how would you feel? Eh. I mean, they're all right. You'd get spit out of somebody's mouth. (laughs) Goodbye. This is what Jesus is bringing to them. I'm the amen. I'm the true and faithful witness. Listen up. I'm the new creation. Anything built on me will get into the next, to the coming kingdom. And, and you're kind of worried about what I haven't done for you. You're not hearing me. You're indifferent to this relationship. You're very, very much misunderstand what it means to belong to the living God. So um, let me just ask you this question because Jesus has more to say. Um, think about, do this for a minute. Replay this last week's prayers that you made. And like some of you might sit down for an hour and pray in the morning. And some of you just might shoot some prayers up during the week. It's okay, right? You're, you're, you're honestly talking to God. Think about that. Were your prayers, did they sound like the prayer of a rich man or woman or a poor one? Here's what the prayers of a rich person sound like. Um, dear Lord, um, be it thy will, um, and then um, in thy name and stuff and stuff and stuff. You know what the prayers of a poor person sound like? Oh, let me read them to you. And you're poor. So am I. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
That's it. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I am poor. Although I'd like to think you love me because I think I'm better than everybody else, I'm deceived. Be merciful to me. You know what I'm reading this out of? Luke 18, where the Pharisee goes to the altar and he says, dear God, I am so glad I'm not like those tax collectors. Can I get an amen? Comparative righteousness. If you're standing before God is comparative righteousness based on how you're doing versus other people, you're self-deceived. Now the tax collector, the one who was a traitor to his own people, wouldn't even get close to God. He stood back and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know what Jesus said? I tell you, the man who went down to his house justified rather than the other, right? So the tax collector. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So where do those prayers go? What, do you sound like somebody who's, I don't really need anything. In other words, do your prayers even matter? If God answered none of them, would it change your life? That's self-deception. That's a Laodicean prayer. Or are we pouring out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. So that's your voice. That's my voice. What does it sound like to hear God's voice? That's where we want to go. So get out of your head for a minute. Train yourself, teach yourself to hear the voice of God over your voice. So we've understood culture's voice. We've understood our own echo chamber, our own voice. Now let's listen to God's voice. Where does he lead us? Well, verse 18. This is so good. Verse 18. Where does Jesus lead us? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. That word counsel He's not saying, I command you. I'm telling. This is like a friend that's giving you a stock tip. Hey, 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 check this out. You know what? You are poor. Um, buy gold from me. But I'm poor. I'll give it to you. He's count. This is friendship. I counsel you. Buy gold from me. Refined by fire. What does that mean? Because at first I'm like, yeah, I'll buy gold that I don't have to pay for, but it's refined by fire. What does that mean? I think you know what it means. Well, maybe you don't. We don't talk about this much. Do you know how they refine gold and silver? They put it in a crucible. A crucible, it's like a, an earthen pot, and they can heat it up super high temperatures, and the gold becomes liquid, it melts, and the impurities in the gold, the dross, lift out and they float to the top. And then it gets really hazy and impure, the impurities are on the top and then you heat it up some more and the dross gets burned away and then the master can see his reflection in the gold. That's what Jesus is doing here. Hey, buy gold from me. Learn to trust in my word. Learn to listen to my voice and not your echo chamber. But it's going to hurt. I know. But I'm counseling you. This is where true riches are. So the voice of God always leads you to wealth. Leads you to spiritual riches. He's taking you to what your heart wants. 
hold on to me. I'm going to transform you. And he says three things. I'm going to, rich, right? Um, That you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and salve to anoint your eyes. Isn't that funny? It's the three things that the Laodicean church was self-deceived in. I'm the true wealth. And if you're going to hold on to it, you're going to lose. You're going to suffer. But even in that, I'm refining you, friend. You want this. I just talked to a dear friend today, and uh, they were like, yeah, anxiety sucks. And we were talking about it for a while. And they said, but the cool thing about it is, I feel like I know Jesus better. That's refined gold, friend. I was like, did you hear what you just said? That is refined gold. That's what he wants for us. We're rich. He leads us to treasure. And white garments. Man, you're going to work so hard to look good. And ultimately, when you're trying to look good to other people, you're really trying to look good to God. So in Christ, right, he gives us white garments. They're his. In Revelation, we'll say they're, they're cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, meaning sin is wiped out, shame is gone. Your pain is understood. Your rebellion is removed from you. This, even the stain of sin is being removed from you. He gives you white garments to put on. They're his works, not yours. And he gives you salve for your eyes. Yeah, you think you see fine. You've got that Phrygian powder all up in your eyes, and it doesn't look great on you. I'm just going to tell you that. And you can't see anything, but you think you see a hundred, you think you've got it. Jesus is like, no, 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 I'll let you see. I'll let you see truth. These are beautiful words, friend. This is the words of a redeemer. This is the, these are the words of a redeemer who loves you. Um, a pastor, Sam Alberry, let me... Let me teach you, let me repeat to you what he said about discipline, because nobody likes it. Kids don't like it. Let's not pretend that you like it. Here's why discipline is good. Discipline is loving. Discipline feels good because it feels like you matter. When God brings loving discipline to you, he feels real you feel real, you feel like you matter, and you get this sense that something really important is at stake in your life. And you want to hear this. And the master maybe is turning up the heat, but the dross is burning away if you'll stay there. That's discipline. That's why it feels good, because it's relational. It's relational. And I'll prove it to you. Jesus says in verse 19, those whom I love. Now that word love, a lot of times in the Bible, it's the Greek word agape, which we've heard of before. It's like family love. It's not that. It's phileo. You know what it means? I like you too. It means I want to hang out with you. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is like, I want to hang out with you. But I'm going to reprove you. I'm going to confront you. I want you to be burned away and I'm going to train you and teach you because I love you. So listen up. Repent means take this deadly serious. Be urgent on this. Be zealous. Hear my voice and do it. Hear my voice and do it. 
So he leads you to true wealth. He leads you to discipline and he leads you to dinner. Did you see that? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. That means come into the house and eat with him. And oh, that's not it. And, and he with me too. In the ancient Near East, this is just complete intimacy. You don't eat with people in this context, in the house, unless you really love them and you want to get to know them. Think of it. This is where we learn who we are around the table as a kid. This is where we share heartbreaks and joys around the table. So Jesus is like, let me in there. Let's eat together. Let me at your table. You do have a voice. I'll hear it. But you've got to hear mine first. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This is what his voice is saying. This is so, so good. And he takes you to his throne. Did you see that? I will eat with you at your table, but you're not going to stay there. I'm going to take you to the throne that I conquered. The Father gives it to me. Almost like a little kid sitting up there. And you're going to rule with me. See, one of the reasons you don't want to listen to anybody else is because you fear losing control. You fear having no say in your life and not having a voice. And Jesus is like, now your throne ain't going to work out. Come to mine. I'll put you on my throne. Do you hear that? I'll put you on my throne. I conquered. You don't have to worry about staying there. I'll put you there. Let me in. Let's eat together. This is how love works. And he will refine you and he will teach you to hear his voice and to trust his voice. This is what it means to hear God's voice. Um, Listen to how John explains it. It's so beautiful. Again, these are the words of Jesus. This is John um, chapter 14, verse 23. I really need to start highlighting my Bible. Oh, here it is. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's hearing it. Hearing the word is keeping it. And my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home to him. When you are trusting Jesus, the Trinity moves in. Father, Son, Spirit. Make their home with you. Get out of your head. Stop listening to yourself. Start listening to what God is telling you. And do it. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So what is the Spirit saying to you? During this season of going through Revelation, there's been something that put a knot in your stomach. I don't know what it is. But we've talked a lot about sex. We've talked about resources and money. I'll I'll tell you what's put a knot in my stomach. I don't feel like I love God right. I feel like I'm a little bit indifferent. Like, yeah, Team Jesus is great. He's good. He's okay. There's something during this series, or maybe even today, where you're like, that's me, and you want to back off. Be urgent. Push into it. Repent. God has nothing but grace for you. 
right here, right now, don't turn away. Don't turn away. God is preparing you and us to move into a new season of enjoying his grace and his goodness, but there's no way forward without listening to him and hearing his word and believing it and obeying it. See, he was poor for us, right? And he was really wealthy too. He was exposed. He was naked. He held on to the word of the Father, which had disastrous consequences for him personally, God the Son, because of his love for me and his love for you personally. Well, I don't know if I can do that. You don't have to say it yourself. He's done it. You've got to trust him and let his word lead you. Let's do that together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Um, it's so hard sometimes to believe your words over our instincts, over the words that we hear, over the words that we teach ourselves and that we believe. My prayer is that you would pour out your spirit in such a way that it would be impossible for us to not hear your voice through your word, to not understand what you're calling us to do as individuals and as your church, and that we would walk out into the, the, the path you have for us filled with the spirit of God and with joy because we have riches that cannot be taken out of our hands in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.